You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. Um, Glad to be back, but kind of a somber day in the surf world. Uh, We kind of woke up this morning to the news that Ricardo Dos Santos had passed away. And Scott and I get into that in the show. Uh, I mean, it's just like every media outlet is uh, covering this story and it, you can't avoid it. And so it's very tragic and sad. And um, and if you don't already know the details, we'll explain it in the show. But not really sure kind of how to process that. And uh, it's just unbelievably sad and senseless. But it is what it is. And it's just a good reminder to make sure to hug you know your loved ones extra tight and remind them that you have affection and love for them and uh, verbalize those things and showcase them every day because you never know. At any rate, tomorrow, or I'm sorry, next week's show, I've got a a goodie for you. Brand new profile piece with Chaz Smith, the writer of Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell, which was a book that Scott and I have discussed kind of at length when it first came out. And he also co-founded Beach Grit, with Derek Riley, former founder of Stab Magazine. And Chas Smith, great dude, interesting dude, good writer, surf writer, covered the Olympics for Esquire. Um, He writes for a lot of different publications, but um, he's got such an intriguing story. He's really outspoken. He's lived a really interesting life. Uh, Most kind of notably was just the friendship that he's developed with Eddie Rothman on the North Shore. And he's been able to provide a lot of unique insight into Eddie's life. And so we talk quite a bit about that in our conversation. But the reason why I'm pitching it to you now a week in advance is just, if you haven't read his book, Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell, I highly recommend reading it, but also reading it before next week's episode, if that's possible with your schedule. You can kind of breeze through it. It's not super short, but it, it is a quick read. Um, it's really kind of a page turner. I think I probably got through it in a week or so. But um, definitely check that out, and that'll give you a great context and understanding for next week's conversation. It covers a lot of uh, personalities who I knew prior to reading the book, but I'm not sure you know where you are at in your um, interest in surfing and just awareness of who all the characters are within the surf world. Uh, but it it it's super interesting book, and again, we have conversation about that book, but also about his new project, Beach Grit and um, his Middle East war corresponding work and all that kind of stuff. So look forward to that next week. And um, that'll be posted on Monday or Tuesday of next week. And then, of course, make sure, keep engaged with Surf Splendor online on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then just through social media where you can find us at Surf Splendor. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoy today's show. I will be back at the end to sign us off. Yo, 
Yeah, guy. Hey now, down the line, Surf Talk Radio. Scott Bass and David Lee Scales with you here on this foggy Tuesday morning in Southern California. It is January 20th, and uh, we've just, uh, the surf world's sort of abuzz with some really sad news that I think we should get right into. Um, David, why don't you uh, fill us in on what you know regarding this? Uh, Sorry to report that Ricardo Dos Santos passed away this morning, uh, just recently, I guess, within the last hour or so. And the news hit yesterday that Ricardo's, Ricardo Dos Santos um, was shot three times in the abdomen after an altercation that ensued outside of his home in Brazil on the beach. And details are a little conflicting. Um, the stories that I read yesterday, there was two different stories. One story was that there was some... Um, some guys who were doing drugs kind of out in the open on the beach and playing music really loudly outside their, in their cars, kind of making a scene, but doing drugs was the thing. And so Ricardo just approached them and asked them to stop or told them to stop. We don't really know what his demeanor was like when he went up to him, but um, ultimately he ended up being shot three times in the abdomen. I think two times in the abdomen, one time in the chest, the conflicting story was that um, he was doing construction at his house, which was on, it's a house on the beach. So the location's the same in both stories. But this second story was that um, some guys pulled up in a car and were kind of blocking some of the construction work that he was doing. And he went over and asked them to move their car. And that's when the, the gunshots took place. So the details weren't confirmed as of yesterday. What, did you hear any updates on the story today? No, those details are, um, remain sort of, uh, sort of unsubstantiated, <clears throat> you know, um, sure. the story that I got off of a Brazilian surfing website and I'll just kind of quote th- there, that site. Now two men were snorting Coke in front of Ricardo's house. Ricardo's grandfather passed by them and the two men started laughing. Ricardo went over to them to ask them what the deal was. And they said to just let it be. And then Ricardo's grandfather addressed the two men and said, Hey, come on. Snorting coke at 8 a.m. in the morning in front of my family home. This isn't even good for you. And then the two men just took off and it was over. And Ricardo and his grandfather went inside the house to grab their tools. As, as you mentioned, they were uh, redoing their house. When they went back outside, the dude came out of nowhere and shot Ricardo three times. Um, again, unsubstantiated, um, you know, details of the story, but that seems to be the case. Now, um, an officer, an off-duty Brazilian officer and a 17-year-old brother are being held for this um, shooting. He was a military police. A military police officer. So it appears that um, this was the guy that that shot Ricardo. Um, He went through a bunch of blood transfusions. I don't know if you mentioned that part of it. I didn't get to that, no. Um, He successfully underwent one surgery yesterday, and there was a couple more surgeries that he was going to need, including blood transfusions. And so a lot of the Brazilian surfing contingent, Adriana de Souza, Felipe Toledo, all those guys were Instagramming out like, hey, we need blood. Everybody come to this hospital and donate blood. Ricardo, he got through one surgery, but he needs more help. Yeah. And um, some of the stuff that I read this morning as I was uh, following it online and trying to, to gather more information was that... Um, 
he had a cardiac arrest during one of these surgeries. Apparently, there was a lot of arteries that were torn up in the shooting. And, um, you know, your heart's going through a lot during these types of uh, surgeries. And um, at some point, his heart gave out, cardiac arrest, and they couldn't uh, save him. Unbelievably tragic. Like, it was sad yesterday when I woke up. I I originally saw Lindy Irons, Andy Irons' uh, wife, uh, post an Instagram about it saying, like, you know, our prayers are with you. And then just you kind of read comments here and there and get little bits and pieces of different uh, people telling the story. And I just thought it was so tragic, but it seemed like he was going to survive. And so I was really, really bummed to see this news just now. Yeah, you know, for those of you that don't know, um, Ricardo dos Santos, he's an incredibly hard-charging goofy foot from Brazil, obviously. He uh, won the Billabong Pro Chopu Trials in 2011. He also won Surfline's Wave of the Winter in 2013. Uh, He won the Billabong Pro, Andy Irons, in memory of Andy Irons forever, um, sort of the... um, how would you call it? The award was called something like the... Um, it's like the hardest charger. Award, yeah, the basically. hardest charger, the the heart of a lion, Andy Irons type thing. So he won that. And I actually posted the video of Luke Egan giving him that award on my Facebook page. And we'll put it on surfsplendorpodcast.com and on down the line surftalk.com. Down the line radio. <laughs> down the line And uh, we'll post that. But it's a pretty moving. Um, Ricardo's, um, you know, is obviously you know, really moved by the fact that he won an award in Andy Irons' name. And, um, and of course, Ricardo also had a bit of a run-in with John, uh, Jamie O'Brien during one of the pipe uh, or the Billabong Pro trials at Chopu where there was a scuffle, there were some punches thrown, a punch thrown, I guess, by Jamie O'Brien. Yeah, we covered that on this show about a year ago. But um, regardless of that incident, um, Ricardo Dos Santos, widely respected surfer, incredible, hard-charging, goofy foot. Um, um, and so, yeah, the surf world's sort of just kind of going, wow, you know. That Surfline wave of the winter in 2013 that he won, that exact wave at Pipeline, he actually got two cover shots from as well. I don't know if you remember that. It was like yeah. Surfer and Surfing Magazine both ran a cover of him on that same wave, which was so nuts that it also won the Surfline Wave of the Winter. Like it was a gnarly, gnarly pipe wave. So yeah, you know, um, we're just a little bit, um, you know, like I said, we're just we're just trying to gather information as we tell you this, but um, it is certainly breaking news that Ricardo has passed away. I'm gonna read another thing that was posted on Stab. Uh, last night, so prior to Ricardo actually passing away, which they pulled up an Instagram of Ricardo's from 2011, where Ricardo started to express a lot of concern about the beach community that he's from and that he's lived in his whole life and about the way that it was going. Basically, he grew up in this idyllic beach community that was pristine and a lot of tourism and all that sort of thing. And over the years, it's become overrun by criminal elements and by... um, some drug trafficking, I guess, and just, you know, this kind of seedy element. And so in 2011, Ricardo posted on his Instagram quote, he said, today, it seems that this piece of heaven is losing its charm. It seems that people no longer value the fact that they are, that they are in a beautiful and pure place. This unfortunately is no longer the reality. It is with an immense feeling of sadness that I write this, but the guard, which is the name of the community, 
is being destroyed. Ricardo went on to say that the town's reputation for a relaxed hippie vibe has been has given way to the uh, a boom in the presence of violent street thugs who blast music from their cars late at night and fill the streets with trash. After explaining that both public and political non-intervention and uh, and fear have allowed this, Ricardo pleaded for quote all to unite together to end this charade and fight for a better guard unquote. Well, that, you know, I think that speaks volumes to his character, trying to better his community. Um, I get, I've never met Ricardo Dos Santos. I don't know if you have, no. but the general feeling I get is that he was, uh, he, you know, respected by everybody in the surf community. This is one of those situations where as much as I particularly like to play the nationalism card and sort of separate us by our nation states. I think he's one of these guys that um, everybody loved Ricardo Dos Santos. That's the feeling I'm getting is that he was widely, widely respected um, and a very nice guy, you know? After people die, of course, that's always the response is he was a great guy, but that's not what this is. I've heard this about Ricardo prior to this incident. And even when the Jamie O'Brien thing happened last year, everybody came to Ricardo's defense as like, dude, Ricardo would never be in a scuffle like this unless it was forced upon him. Like he is a genuinely kind, sincere human being. Yeah. He's one of the good guys. And you know, there's that cliche, only the good die young. And, um, apparently that's lived out here, uh, today. So we're, we're saddened by it. I know the surf world saddened by it. And, um, and the 25 year old gunman and his 17 year old brother, as you said, are in custody. Yeah. And so we'll see how this plays out. But, um, super bummer and um you know life is short i don't you know i don't want to go on some moral soliloquy here but uh, that's what the podcast is for okay man. let me, let me go it. on my moral soliloquy life is short live it to the fullest and um cherish each and every moment because uh, you and i could be next sadly i i um by the way side note if you have your wi-fi password can you write that down for me so i could log on while we're talking yeah um I think that I don't have it, but oh, you yeah. don't. Well, I mean, okay, I'll figure it out. Okay, cool. Yeah. Think about it because I'd what do you like want me to pull. pull some, I can pull some stuff up if you can. We'll get to it later, but um, if you got the password, I could use it too. But, anyways, <laughs> um, like I think it pro- provides a really interesting juxtaposition to what Gabriel Medina has accomplished in the past year, and Brazil's kind of riding on this high and all this passion that the community is known for that they've gotten behind Gabriel and like, you know, just there's so much positivity in the world title race that they've experienced and that the surfing community has benefited from in the past year and leading up to the past year that this really creates the exact opposite of that in such a stark contrast that, their community does deal with on a regular basis and has dealt with. And we learned a bit about it during the world cup in the past year that it's like, dude, they're going to have to have some military um, protections in place for all the tourism that's going to come to their community and all this to protect against things that go on in the favelas. You know, we just get a glimpse into it. And I think this is a much more intimate, closer glimpse that the surfing community is experiencing. Um, I don't even know what the point is that I'm making other than it's just, 
I don't know. It's well, really I think, the, I think what you're saying is that the spotlight is going to continue to be on sort of this these lower, um, uh, you know, economic um, portions of the society in Brazil, especially as the Olympics are are coming to Brazil, right? I'm not sure. Yeah, the, the Olympics are going to be in Brazil, the Summer okay. Olympics, and um, and you then you further are kind of saying, hey, look, you know, this is a passionate country, passionate people. I'm not sure where Ricardo dos Santos stands relative as a sports hero relative to uh, to uh, Ga- Gabriel Medina, but um, within the country, yeah, within the country, like he, you know, where is he in relation to Gabe as far as national exposure in that country regarding this this sad incident? But um, hopefully, some good will come of this, and and I think we can we can help make some good come of this some way, each and every one of us, just through our daily interaction with our fellow man. Yeah. Be kind. It's not that hard. Right. And I don't think that the gunmen, you know, have any awareness about the surfing community probably. And like that there's such an outpouring for Ricardo, maybe they'll learn about it, but they, they, maybe they didn't know who he was and not that that would have even mattered or changed the situation at all. But I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's interesting that, I don't know, this happened so close after kind of all the positivity that we've experienced from Brazil in the past few months, you know? Such well, maybe we should contrast. change um, change uh, gears a little bit. I got a, a gear shift for you. Okay. What is um, it? Uh, did you know, you know, Michael Thompson, obviously, Sean Thompson's cousin, gotcha, yeah. founder, South African. Uh, yeah. Do you know he had a surf publication in 1976? Yeah. He, what he, was the name of that surf publication? Um, That's why I'm bringing this up. I, I don't know the exact name of it. I mean, it does. let me just say it doesn't surprise me that he did. He's a well-educated okay. South African, and I'm sure he had a South African surf publication. Named Down the Line. Oh, very good. Yeah. He's a smart man. I saw that, and I'm like, Down the Line? Whoa, is Scott trying to benefit off some of the goodwill <laughs> that this 1976 publication produced? Yes, I am. Right in my wheelhouse. I grew up with Down the Line magazine. Exactly. <laughs> trying to benefit off Sean Thompson. Or, I mean, Michael, Michael. Thompson. No. South African <laughs> publication that ran for six issues. <laughs> no. I, I don't even know how many issues it ran for, but I thought that was cool that you guys both have the same name. Yeah, is that is that how you're changing gears? Just that little anecdote. Exactly. That was it. That huh? was it, dude. Okay. A one line gear nice. shift. That was a good gear shift. Um, how about this from the rumor and parking lot innuendo department? We're the digital parking lot. Digital parking. This is where lot. we come to share rumor and innuendo. That's pretty good. Well, I found this on the uh, Surfer Magazine message board, and um, there's some. Some folks on there that are chiming in that they believe that it will be announced soon. And again, let me reiterate, this is rumor and innuendo, not based in fact. But I'm just reading um, from, and again, the Surfer Mag message board, which, which actually has got some legitimacy as far as... It's proven some, to be credible in the past. It's proven to be credible in the past. It's also proven to be a total shit show in the but past. But you know who those posters are versus yeah. the credible posters, right? Well, well here's, here's the rumor. Okay, let's hear Is it. that Kelly Slater um, is going to be riding Firewire surfboards and also going to be, um, you know, a potential backer fiscally, a financial backer of Firewire. Again, rumor and innuendo, not fact at this point, but here's what we do know. Kelly on fire is your title. I like it. 
Kelly Slater was seen on the North Shore recently riding clear stickerless surfboards with no Channel Islands logo, no CI logo. That's a fact. Okay. We also know that he's been in videos discussing the promise of Daniel Thompson-inspired designs, going so far as to say that those designs that Daniel Thompson's making are the future. Okay. That's a fact. Another fact. uh, Over the Christmas break, about two weeks ago, I know for a fact that he played golf at a North County Country Club with one of the members of the Firewire management team. And he shot like a 75, Kelly did. (laughs) Fact. Was that you in the bushes I saw? (laughs) I saw your little visor poking out. That was me, yeah. (laughs) Now, the rest of it is just internet message board innuendo. But again, um, the um, Surfer Mag message board people, um, dare I say the intelligentsia, (laughs) are are reporting that. And so I guess my question to you is, doesn't the timing of this seem to make sense, seeing as how Kelly Slater undergoing a bit of a sponsor makeover from Quicksilver to Outer Known, from Vitamin Coconut Water to this Perps Energy Drink, and now this? Yes, the timing does make sense, but I would like you to clarify something for me. He, If he were to ride for Firewire, let's... You, you should break this down as being the founder of the boardroom show, knowing all that there is to know about surfboards. That wouldn't prevent him from working with Channel Islands. Firewire is a construction material and you, uh, technique for surfboards who also implements shapes from people like Daniel Thompson, John Pizel, many others. So they could do a Channel Islands line of Firewire surfboards. Absolutely. Uh, they absolutely could, and they absolutely, that's maybe the route they're taking. Okay. Because yeah, because they basically license their technology, you know, to the Pizels and, and, uh, yeah. Um, because I remember him talking about Daniel Thompson on the webcast, but, uh, that is speculation on the message board's behalf. Like, he could just be writing Firewire and backing Firewire financially but implementing Channel Islands through them. Um, explain what the Firewire construction technique is. <laughs> wow, now you're really putting me on the spot. This is dude. your deal. This is your business, dude. Don't fail me uh, now. Look, it's a, a state-of-the-art uh, construction using vacuum-sealed, vacuum-bagged um, uh, technology. Um, a lot of some epoxy foam, some bamboos. They've got two or three different construction techniques that they use eps foam and epoxy yeah. resin yeah and bamboo yeah and it's that um some of it is that sandwich construction and some of it is just pure you know hand sh- or not hand shape but what's the shape. benefit well the benefit is strength to weight ratio right so you're going to get a ton of strength with a really light surfboard what are the downsides there are no real downsides other than you can't micromanage your board design you know you, you either get you know, design A, design B, or design C, or design D, where you can't, like, roll up to John Pazell and go, hey, I'd like you to take a quarter inch off. I want you to put a little bit more volume in the nose. And, oh, by the way, can you paint it yellow? And um, my girlfriend wants these kind of, you know, you can't Uber, you know, you can't go overboard with the customization. Is that because the tooling and the machinery is set for that specific design and it would be too expensive to implement new tooling and new machinery to adjust that quarter of an inch or whatever? Yeah, that's basically it. Now, I'm under the, um, I believe that the FireWire guys can do some custom work. And I know Mark Price has told me that they can, and I think they're going in that direction. Um, It just makes more sense 
to uh, stock up the retail outlets with sort of designs that they know are proven rather than wait for onesies to come in, onesie orders to just roll through. Um, and, and I do need to be frank and tell you that um, as much as I know about the Firewire stuff, I should know more. And I'm sure if Mark Price hears this, he's and I, w- I would love for him to call me or, or email me and fill me in if I'm if I'm you know giving out the wrong information regarding the firewire construction but um, if if that is the and case I've had Mark I'm sorry to interrupt but I've no. had Mark on the show a couple of times and he's he's very well spoken and can certainly uh help to clarify any of the uh any of the um you know statements I've made that aren't exact regarding firewire's construction let's open invite uh if we misspoke or didn't cover anything right now next episode we give him 20 minutes to give us the full spiel on firewire he's welcome yeah he's he like i said he's he's a great spokesman for the brand so So, um i could see channel islands paisel i mean that makes a ton of sense right the tomos but here's my question i do think and i'm sorry to interrupt hold that question i do think that kelly is fascinated by what the tomo brand is doing with stuff, you know, yeah. with that stuff that, that Stuart Kennedy was writing on tour. And, and, and I think that if you, if, if Kelly comes in and becomes a part of the Firewire family financially, he can then pick and choose Channel Island. I'll ride some Pizels. I love what John John's writing. I want to ride the Tomas. I want to ride the Channel Islands. You know, he'll have the ability to kind of. Yeah. But I think you're, you're kind of creating a gray area. Well, yes. Rumor is generally gray. But no, but what I mean is like, Kelly can admire Tomo's boards and ride Tomo's boards without even touching Firewire ever. Like Daniel Thompson makes a ton of boards that aren't Firewire construction. Right, right, right. No, but well, what I'm getting at is that from a from a market standpoint, Firewire is doing pretty damn good, and like it would be a good horse to hitch your wagon to. That's what I'm saying. If he is financially backing it, you mean? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And it would. And it would. It would so they shoot Firewire into the stratosphere. Oh, I agree. Business-wise. So it, it seems to make a lot of sense. I'm wondering, though, like Kelly seems to be a guy who wants to um, tinker with fine-tune yeah. and tinker. Yeah, and and I'm sure he'll continue to do that, but he'll also put out – and again, we're just we're just riffing here. We don't know this. Yeah. But I could see him also fine-tuning and going, God, I really love this one. Let's put this one out. We'll call it the whatever, you know, the Kelly beard or whatever, right? Kelly and then beard. He'll, and then he'll continue to do his, his, you know, write his customs and stuff. Yeah. But there'll be that one that, you know, Joe Blow frat guy at UCLA will go by. Exactly. Talking about um, the added strength to weight ratio, that's been a, one of their key selling points throughout. But I would like to point out that this year on tour, Michelle Berez has been riding Pizel shaped uh, fire wires and he broke a bunch of them so they're yeah. not indestructible no well if anyone's going to break boards it's going to be the spartan that guy is absolutely a power monger and um, certainly all surfboards are breakable yep yep and by the way there is a daniel thompson shaped board three feet behind you what is that thing dude oh yeah break that down. that's that's really cool um hold on keep talking while i take a peek at it all right i'm gonna narrate scott's going to check out the this details the, on the uh, stringer. This is the Vanguard Four by Daniel Thompson with the linear flex technology. It's a five eight, and um, is that your board? Or no, that's kids? my son's board, and okay. it, it kicks ass. Does it? Yeah, it's the pointed <clears throat> the pointed nose Vanguard Four Tomo, and uh, 
Hank loves it. You know, it, it flies. Do you remember? And I have my Tomo that I let you ride that I take down to the points in Mexico, which I absolutely, it, it's, an, it's a great surfboard. Do you remember the controversy on Instagram a year or two ago with that specific design where Daniel Thompson posted it side by side with Matt Biolis's? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember Weekend that. Warrior or yeah, whatever it, it was. It kind of blew up into a. Let's break that down real quickly. We don't have the details, but I'll just like just blush over it a little bit. Um, Daniel posted this design next to, I think it was Matt Biolis's Weekend Warrior and kind of called Matt out and said like, oh, you're copying my tail and nose design or something. And then Yada Nickel chimed in and was like, are you out of your mind? Like that design has been, you just put a little swallowtail on a board that's been around forever. You're not inventing anything new. And then Matt Biolis screenshotted the post and then wrote like this unbelievably long diatribe ripping Daniel a new one. <laughs> just yeah. like, who do you think you are? Little kid coming over from Australia to San Diego claiming everything's been a reincarnation of the past. And we're all just trying to improve upon one another's designs for you to pull me out and say that I'm copying you is completely asinine and really rip Daniel a new one. I thought it was pretty brilliant actually. Like I have a lot of respect for Daniel, but then to see Matt who I have even more respect for stand up and basically say the truth well, the, and not pull any punches at all was pretty rad. Yeah. Here's the thing is that, um, you know, the message gets lost in the context of the message a lot of times. Okay. And, um, I think Daniel wasn't being as, um, and again, I sort of forget exactly what the, his Instagram was, but the bottom line is that Daniel and Matt respect each other immensely. They're actually, I think they're pretty good mates. I know they're on good speaking terms after this situation because I talked with both of them about it and it's all good. And, um, you know, so it, it's just one of those things where social media can kind of blow out of proportion when you're, it's a situation where there should have been a phone call. Yeah. You know, my wife often says, you know what, this is a phone call. This isn't an email. This is a phone call. You need to make a phone call. And that's one of these things yeah. where, you know, you start to get into an internet social media war and it just, it, there's no good that comes of it. And, and I'm sure that a phone call eventually, that was a couple of years ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, I'd say so. I think. It was poor form for Daniel to ever post it the way that he did. But you're right. At that point, Matt could have called him and solved it and got the thing deleted rather than responding. But it was great fodder. For I'm the not sure. If, I think a response was warranted, quite frankly, because once you, it's out there in the yeah, public. Yeah, once it's out there, you yeah. got to respond in the public. But, you know, it, you know, live and learn. Yeah. I, God knows I've posted some stupid stuff on social media that I just, you know, dude, wish I could have deleted. Dude, I've had a few things not so much social media, but maybe an email sent in the middle of the night after you're like exhausted yeah, or exhausted or whatever. And, um, don't push send, just write it exactly, and then print dude. it and then burn That's it. That's my advice to all the listeners. Don't push send after let's say 1030 at night, write right. an email, leave it as a draft, reread it. In the or morning. if you're like me you wake up early and you drink two cups of coffee and it's on, that's when I send my bad emails. Oh really? Yeah. So you got to people aren't even awake yet. Right. <laughs> well, I, I have a couple that I reflect now on even, you know, seven years later, I reflect back and cringe thinking that I ever even sent that. Like, what was I thinking? Yeah. That's the worst feeling, dude. One of the worst feelings. It's not good. Um, what's going on with Piahi, dude? 
Well, you know, that's a great question. Big I mean, Wave World I Tour. was very, very excited to, uh, I had my Thursday planned. I was going to watch the World Surf League's Big Wave World Tour sort of coming out sort of party, I thought. You know, I know they've had other events, but to have the first paddling event at Piahi, they gave it the green light yesterday. I was talking to people at the supermarket about it. Everyone's psyched. They've, they've basically put their Thursday on hold. Um, and I was anticipating a lot, you know, um, from a production standpoint, I sort of feel like this event is it's going to really be the time for the WSL to shine. They've got their new name. They've got a new year. They've got a massive paddling event at Piahi. Um, they can push the big wave event broadcast to a new level. Now, what are they going to do with the downtime? How are they going to provide us with insight and entertainment and information as they fill the downtime, which is quite significant during big wave events? There's a lot of lulls. You know, will they um, do a good job of, of filling in that space? That's what's going to make or break uh, a broadcast and could, quite frankly, make or break the big wave world tour. Will we be interested? Can they step up from a production standpoint? I don't know. Big wave events, David, are sort of like hockey. You know, when you're there in person, you know, it's cold in the hockey arena. You can really see the athleticism of the athletes, how fast they skate. You see the puck flying around. You're in there with the fellowship, with your fellow fans, and, and you're feeling the hits, and it's on. Uh, but to watch a hockey game on TV, you don't quite get that. And that's the way big wave events are. When you're there, I've been at the Eddie in, on the beach. It's insane. In person. So what if they're lulls? You're sitting in and you're rapping with the guy next to you. You see the set starting to march down, you know, from from rubber duckies, you see it all starting to happen and you can, you know, the sets are marching and, and the, you know, just the 30 seconds from the set marching to the takeoff spot, everyone's, there's a fever pitch and then the wave comes and people make it or they wipe out. So when you're at the event, you know, there's salt filling the air. There's just, it's much different than watching it on the internet or on TV. And so can they translate that feeling that you get being at the hockey game or being at the big wave arena? We will see. And if they don't, it's going to be a big fail. And if they do, amen to them for being able to pull it off. Because of these lulls, how is the production team going to keep our interest, going to translate those things I just mentioned? That's the key. Now, we're hearing, guess what? Well, it got greenlit a day or two ago. Yesterday, there was a green light. This was on. It is on. Everybody fly in from your destinations around the world, and we're going to run this thing. It's on. Because it was on yellow light. You know, there's swell coming but we're not sure if it's going to hit and it's all going to be right so green light and by the way kelly slater was one of the wild cards which was pretty rad um but at any rate last night at like 11 o'clock i saw dave wassell's instagram and he said this just in piahi challenge officially called off yes they said it was on this am but we got another email saying it's off storm is strong but far from hawaii causing inconsistent surf Lack of enough big waves got organizers a bit worried. In the end, it's the right call. I just hope Ramon Navarro knows because he had to fly from Chile. So it's officially got greenlit on and then got officially either yellow-lighted back on hold or red-lighted off. Um, They can't yellow-light it today and then run it tomorrow because, again, people, there's more planning that needs to take place than just that. So if it goes yellow-light, I think there's still... 
a few weeks in the waiting period, five weeks, I think, still in the waiting period. So they can go yellow light until a later swell, but they're not going to run it on this swell anyways. Yeah, it's a massive ordeal just to set up all the production facilities and to get the um, actual event itself with the organizers and the judges and the surfers there. So you're right. But how does this look for the WSL to green light officially and then be have to call it off after that? Well, it's a major bummer. I mean, I, I it's it's a it's sort of a stub toe. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a black eye, but it's a stub toe to send out a green light. They sent out a press release. It came from the WSL. Oh, it's yeah. on, you know. Yeah. And then to go. So what they should have done right is gone. Look, it's a yellow light. We're not sure. We've talked to the surfers. They know about it. Some of them are in route. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. We're still monitoring this. So they went with the green light way too soon. They should have just held the yellow light. I say don't go with the green light until no matter what, you know, Fred Hemmings is paddling out. Dead ahead, Fred. Let's do this. I mean, really what that comes down to is do you want to give Ramon Navarro enough time to get from Chile to Piahi? Well, look, Cause the event can't... doesn't, you know, Ramon Navarro isn't going to be the make or break of this event. He either gets or he doesn't. An, I'm using right. him as an example, but there's people all over the world who need to make it to this event. So, right. What we would love to do with a Pipe Masters event is wake up at 7 a.m., look at the waves and go, should we run it today or not? What are the restrictions for look, the you, guys at you Piaggi still give it a that? yellow event. And you say, Ramon, you better be here because we may go green. And so that, can that's they keep be- it yellow until Thursday morning? Yeah. And then Thursday morning, look at it and go, okay, green light. Yeah. They can. I think they can. Why don't they? That's the question. Why didn't they? I- I'm thinking there's reasons why they don't that you and I aren't privy to. Yeah, maybe there Logistics. are. Logistics. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a change in the way they do it because everybody's geeked up for it. The surfers are flying over and they pulled the plug. You know, you just have to go yellow light until it's on. It reminds me of... It's a tough deal. There's no doubt about it. It's good. It, that's what I'm saying. This is the toughest broadcast for them to do. And, and they either need to do it with a 10 plus rating or not do it at all and you know giving it a green light and then pulling the plug on it to me it's like the event the event happened and it got a one (laughs) instead of a 10 you know yeah well it it reminds me of let's bring back the hashtag it's off you know what i mean because it's sort of they started the year with a blunder with the pipeline event you and i are agreed that they called it off on a saturday afternoon when they should have called it on and this is a second coming of that Within a one month. What is it? What is it? What does it say next time they go? Yeah. Next week they go green light for the Eddie or green light for Totos. What are you going to as an end user, which is what they want. Samsung wants my eyeballs. I'm going to be like, oh, whatever. I'm not going to clear my day. You know, like I cleared Thursday off. I'm like, you know what? Thursday's going to I'm going to watch this. Right. And now, you know, I'm screwed because (laughs) of their, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel. What are you going to do now? uh, I'm going to have to work. On what? The boardroom, <laughs> oh, International okay. Surfboard Show. Oh, perfect. Yeah. See, I just pitched that to you so yeah. you could talk about your show. That's sweet. What um, a great segue. Yeah. Do you have the the um, guys who are actually involved in the Piali event? Like I said, Kelly Slater is one of the wild cards. Do you have the list? No, uh, I don't. I mean, we. I can pull it up real quick. You sent it to me. Um, I think it was in a Facebook message, the link to the press release. But well, I look, just we know who the big players are, right? Yeah, I just thought it was rad to see Kelly Slater's name on there. Oh basically. yeah, well look, they're gonna put Kelly Slater's name on everything, whether he's yeah. there or not. He's sort of like Tiger Woods. They're uh, gonna put his name on there until he calls and says, "Don't put my name on there." Right. Um, 
while while you're pulling that up, like I said, just pull it from my, the yeah, Facebook I message. Will. Um, while you're pulling that up, can I segue into the Dahui event? Yeah. Did you watch that at all? Um, there wasn't a webcast, was there? Yes, there, oh, there was. was? Oh, well, they didn't do a very good job of, they did not. of uh, marketing it. It was on like why I watched some of it. Like I did see like day two or something. Highlights maybe? Yeah, maybe I watched the highlights package. Okay. Or I actually did watch like a little bit of it live and it was just so hurting from a broadcast yeah. perspective. The production quality was lame. Well, what so we've, it's hard to watch. What we've gotten used to with the current WSL um, is pretty pretty high. It's a pretty high standard to live up to. Yeah. And this was just a couple of maybe like two different angles um, running on YouTube nonstop, no graphics. I think they cut to commercials a couple of times. But, I mean, it was bad enough to where Bruce Irons got a 10 at back door and the cameraman missed it. Ouch. How's that, dude? That's a fail. Yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. And so there was a sequence of it that I was able to see. I think on Stab Mag they posted a sequence of it. But it's like, dude, the beach is screaming going, oh, my God, did you see that? And they have nothing to cut to to show it. That's a bummer. Well, you know, the good news is, right, Mason Ho, I guess, put on quite a show. He did. And, and congratulations to Mason Ho, who's fast becoming – mine and yours oh, yeah. i believe for years favorite guys to watch because he's just an entertaining ball of entertainment the yeah. guy you know in the water and out of the water he's he sort of has this um just a cloud of positive vibrations flowing from him you know he does so the he's like du- a kid he is a kid do who backdoor shootout they're supposed to run you get to surf in three different heats and i think they accumulate your two top scores from each heat and in the end, whoever has the best six wave scores is the winner of the event. I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. Um, 
they never ended up getting to run the third round. They only ran rounds one and two. And um, the third day, on the final day of the waiting period, they were going to run round three. And it looked like it was going to be the best day of the waiting period. And it turned out to not be. So they were only able to accumulate scores from rounds one and round two, at which point Mason Ho was leading the, the ratings. Um, and we never got to see that round three be surfed, unfortunately. But it was like Mason Ho... Um, Bruce Irons and Jamie O'Brien were the top three guys. So sounds about right. Where was John John? John John didn't get to surf because of WSL sanctions. Oh yeah. He's not, he's a WSL surfer. So they wouldn't allow him to surf in that event. Yeah. Which is worth a conversation, but I really haven't done enough research to speak about it. Well, Um, I mean, I know a little bit about it and the WSL is going to protect their brand and the athletes are their brand. And if you don't pay the WSL sanctioning fee, WSL surfers cannot surf in your event, and WSL surfers that do will be probably not only fined, but probably you know suspended yeah. for a couple of events. So yeah. it's it's worth it to not just do it, you know, events that aren't WSL sanctioned. So I saw images of John John down the beach at Off the Wall when it was pumping at pipe. Of course, Off the Wall's pumping, and John John was ruling it out there. <laughs> so it's like John John's the unofficial winner, co-winner exactly. with Mason, Jamie O'Brien and Bruce Irons. Exactly. Yeah. There's no question about that. Well, quite interesting. And it's, it's a, it's an interesting f- format that they use because it's, it's a bummer when they don't run it because it's very anticlimactic, right? If they can't run round three, it's like, Oh yeah. Uh, somebody call Mason, tell him to get down here. We want to award him his prize. You right. know, it's, it's sort of like it loses a little bit of its final, you know, uh, the climactic moment that everyone wants to see. Yeah. Um, this is a side note, but worth mentioning beach grit did an interview with Mason after he won and talking about Mason being such a likable guy and just entertaining. He was talking about going to spend his money at the remote controlled car store. (laughs) And the guy who was working there said that Bruce irons always comes in and buys everything so Bruce has a fascination with with RC cars. And so sure enough, on the day um, prior, prior, (laughs) I can just see those guys. Dude, dude, I remember an Instagram with Bruce flying a drone helicopter off of his balcony at his house in Kauai, like into oblivion, like into where it just got lost, you know? But at any rate, at any rate, so Mason goes in this interview, tells this story about prior to winning the event, um, uh, Michael Ho was sitting watching the event and an RC car goes flying past him like off a jump into the sand and Mason had a heat coming up and Michael Ho's like, dude, what did he figured it was Mason's car. He's like, why is Mason playing with his RC car when he's got a heat coming up? He should be focusing for a heat. And then Mason comes walking up and Michael's like, Hey, was that your car? And Mason's like, no, turns out it's Bruce Irons sitting back in the bushes, racing his RC car. And Bruce Irons had the next heat. So Mason goes up to Bruce and he's like, dude, what are you doing right now? Playing with your RC car? He's like, Oh, I'm just getting hyped up for my, for my heat. You know, Hey, everybody's cool got everybody's so then, got their own way to do it. So then when Mason won, I think uh, Bruce was like, let's go celebrate by racing RC cars, you know? Oh, my. And then we can go to, you know, Baskin Robbins and get some ice cream. Exactly. Bubblegum flavor. <laughs> well, good for them. They're, I'm stoked they're having fun with their RC cars. I'll post the link to Mason's Hey, you know, I, I mean, you know, I've got my own problems. I've, I would probably go play guitar or, buy some, or go golfing. Everyone's got their own thing, right? 
Okay, I guess so. I did bring up the uh, WSL Surfers in the Big Wave World Tour event at Piahi, which was given a green light and then given a red light. Speaking of remote-controlled cars. Let's hear it. We got the big red light. So the 12 surfers that were supposed to surf at Piahi. And by the way, it, could it go green light again, do you think? Like today, later, could they change their mind again? I think that would be an even bigger hiccup on their behalf. Well, the 12 surfers that were to surf, Grant Baker, Ken Collins, Nick Lamb, Sean Dollar, Cole Christensen, Greg Long, Ryan Augenstein, Anthony Tashnik, Ramon Navarro, Jamie Mitchell, Tyler Fox. I think those uh, are put out there, those 12 surfers, by a rating system. Yeah. And then your wild cards, number one, Kelly Slater, number two, Mark Healy, three, Shane Dorian. I'm surprised Dorian's not in this event in the top 12 he's one of those guys where you're like just put him in it you well you would assume he'd be in the top 12 ratings anyways well he's the best big wave surfer in the world to not have him in the event is stupid by everybody's standards yeah he's the it's, best it's big stupid wave especially yeah. there right uh dave wassel makua rothman gave villaron and then there's piahi local wild cards I, I don't know what that means like how do who gets more privilege the wsl wild cards or the piahi local wild cards Ian Walsh, he's another guy. So there's a problem here. I know you have to use a system and you have to use a rating system and you have to have some sort of method to the madness. But you would think that you could pull a couple of guys. Kelly Slater, Ian Walsh, and Shane Dorian need to be in this main event. If if you want eyeballs well, on your event, if you're trying to get Samsung psyched, you got to get these guys in your event. Well, it says wild cards. I think that means they're in the event. Oh, as you, wild cards. Oh, you, oh I those thought, aren't alternatives. Oh, I thought these were all. Okay, so those, these guys are in it. Yes, okay, good. as wild oh, cards. My bad. I'm sorry. Sorry, WSL. Didn't mean to. No. Sorry, sorry Dave Proden. But the, Didn't mean to step on your toes, bud. But now the conversation is there's 12 guys who are rated into the event, seated in the event. So we have but now there's 12 guys. Now there's 12 wild cards. So an equal amount of wild cards as there are actually rated good. surfers in the event. Good. If there ever was a opportunity for wild cards to do good it's in the big wave world tour right mm-hmm. and you look at these wild cards are you kidding me ian walsh billy kemper albie lair sean walsh kai lenny those piahi local wild cards could be a final just the oh, yeah. piahi locals yeah for sure so that's an insane i mean i look at it I, the wild cards look way better than the regular surfers except for maybe grant baker well look they're all good i'm just kind of riffing here i'm not trying to diss anybody because as you look at the list, they're all legitimate candidates. But I mean, from a star power standpoint, the wild cards, there's a little bit more star power. Yeah, there is. Um, it's worth noting Alex Gray pulled out uh, due to an injury. I don't know what happened to Alex Gray. but uh, I heard, and I don't know, I saw this on Instagram, but I heard he uh, ran over his foot with a remote control car. Oh, really? No. Yikes. Just, just Talk about a stubbed toe. Yeah. Um, well, what else do you got? I've got, um, I've got a kook. Oh, I did want to say this swell that's hitting Hawaii is a massive run of North Pacific swell. And we're going to be getting some good swell here this weekend. Yeah, so, we are. so we had some great surf last weekend. We're going to have another run of surf this weekend and through next week. So there's plenty of North Pacific surf and, um, people are stoked about that here in California. Um, this is a totally off the wall news story that i saw that wasn't reported hardly anywhere but i thought it was worth noting um have you ever seen that surfer's name's jim pellegrin they've had him in the lost videos 
He's like 350 pound. Oh yeah. Giant yeah, yeah. Fat he he lost his arm. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I did you mean, hear about that? I did hear about it when it happened. It was on the Surfer Mag message board. Oh, was it really? <laughs> yeah. Jimbo. Jimbo Pellegrin, dude. Yeah. The only way I know about this dude is Lost put him in a few videos surfing like padang padang. Yeah. This guy's literally 300 plus pounds and not in a UFC fighter's physique. He's like a tubby 350 pounds. It's, it's hilarity to watch this guy surf, but he actually surfs really well. And he rides uh, a shortboard, not like an actual shortboard, but you know, a shortboard design. But because he's so big, he has to ride it on waves that are overhead, well overhead. And so you see him getting barreled at Padang Padang, surfing better, getting better waves than I've gotten. And uh, the guy's a great surfer. Really shockingly good surfer. And just hilarious how he's got this muffin top that just is like out of control. But he owns it, you know. So really rad, interesting dude that I've loved to see footage of over the years. But um, (laughs) yeah. Bassie just pulled up an image of him painted blue, dressed like Buddha with two chicks, super hot chicks on a Vespa holding onto his belly behind him. Well, a renowned artist, Ashley Bickerton, who's who's sometimes on the Surfer Mag uh, message board, uh, lives in Bali, does a bunch of really neat, colorful art. Very, oh, okay. really great guy, good surfer. Anyway, he did this, this fascinating sort of photo, photograph with Jimbo and these beautiful Balinese girls and lots of color and uh hilarious dude. yeah but the, sadly look he was driving with did you say that part about how he I lost didn't get it to that, no. so he was driving with his hand out of the window in Bali no Kauai I heard. oh Kauai yeah, yeah okay my bad so anyway if you know the go ahead and tell the facts that's all that. I know is he left a bar and um yeah he had his arm out his car window basically and a semi truck or a big truck came the opposite direction and just guillotined the thing yeah was there an accident that happened or i didn't to me it seemed like there wasn't actually a cars didn't hit one another it was just the oncoming car hit his arm that is so gnarly that is like horrific when you think about it and what's incredible is that apparently he just drove himself straight to the hospital without his arm yeah without his arm he just like drove to the hospital just gushing blood everywhere. I guess. Again, this is sort of like stuff that I picked up off the internet, so we don't know how factual it is. But I'm sure he must have done a tourniquet or something, pulled over to the road and said, oh, my God, I, you know. How do you maintain calm? I don't know. That's the incredible part because I can't speak for you, but I would have passed out. I would have been done. Dude, I pass out with a little bit of blood, like I, a paper cut, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm feeling woozy. I went to Disneyland and passed out. And, you know, it's a little small world after all. I passed out. Why? Because it was so beautiful. Uh. <laughs> Um, how, have you passed out? Like, do you pass out about blood and stuff like that? No, I don't pass out about blood. Um, not that, you know, occasionally maybe. Um, but I actually have, um, a history of just passing out. I do too. That's why I have a pacemaker. I didn't know you had a pacemaker. Yeah, I have a pacemaker. What the heck, dude? You're old. Everyone should have one, dude. They're on sale at Costco right now. Really? Yeah. Pacemakers are on sale. You can go get your tires changed and get a pacemaker put in. They're like backup generators. Do you go to Mexico without a backup generator? No, you don't. That's why you should have a a, a pacemaker, backup generator. I've passed out like five times in my life. The most recent one was just like two months ago. It's gnarly and it ruins your day. Like you're, you know, queasy for half the day afterwards. Oftentimes it does have to do with blood. The sight of blood for some reason bothers me. Um, But we should talk about that, man. Yeah. 
We'll talk off the air about our medical conditions. I know, it's kind yeah. Of personal. Yeah, the last one kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, I'll wrap. I'm gonna go with see you. a neurologist about it. Yeah, you should. Um, so Jimbo, man, sorry, sad story, but we'll post this stuff that we're talking about, this image and uh, video of Jimbo. Well, look, sorry, Jimbo. My kook of the week is. Wait, dude. Oh, are we still going? Sorry. Do I you want to talk? On a hard out. That's why I was trying. Hard to... out at ten thirty. Okay. We got time. All right. I want to give you the opportunity Uh-oh. you you sent that doesn't sound good <laughs> give you the opportunity to argue uh for mickey dora's position do you know what i'm talking yeah, about um i sent you something let me pull it up real quick scott bass texted me this image out of a textbook a quote from mickey dora regarding professionalism and this is in reference to true fans of the show can remember a conversation from a year ago where I called out kind of the surfing media and professional surfers for their lack of professionalism, grammatically in Instagram posts and all that sort of stuff, and even in, in published things. So I went on a rant and was arguing for the position of um, kind of the value of professionalism. A year later, Scott Bass texts me this photo. Well, I found this. There was um, some guy's PhD, like his thesis or something, like this massive academic paper on surfing and culture that was written for some university in Cambridge, England or something like that. Recently, though? Yeah, th- yeah, recently. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know when it was published within the last five years. Okay. This, this academic paper, right? It was like 70 pages long with, you know, 100 pages of of notes and sourcing and everything where'd full you, on legit academic. Where'd paper you come across this? at the surfing heritage and culture center? Oh yeah. Wow. And so I was flipping through it and I found this one quote and I wanted to send it to David and I'll just read it real quick. And this is from Mickey Dora in a surfer magazine article. And, um, it says this Mickey Dora quote, the advent of professionalism to the sport will be the final blow. Professionalism will be completely destructive of any control and, individual and individual has over the sport at present these few wall street flesh merchants desire to unify surfing only to extract the wealth under this quote professional regime the wave rider will be forced into being totally subservient to the few in control in order to survive a surfer should think carefully before selling his beings to these people since he's selling his own death warrant as a personal entity so Dora, of course, a little bit off the Richter scale with some of his thoughts, but um, certainly worthy of discussion. You know, is professionalism bad? This has been bandied about in, in the surf media for a long time. Um, certainly not in the 80s when it was booming, but um, there was certainly a little bit of a backlash. You know, what's interesting is Jeff Devine has a photograph. There was a guy at Steamer Lane in the 70s and in the 80s who had set up, park his car at the lane and was one of these guys that would have billboards all over his little beat up Datsun B210 hatchback painted billboards that said basically this, that, you know, boycott contests, boycott magazines, boycott professional surfing, boycott this, boycott that. It's the end to us all. You know, it's kind of like Looney Bin guy, you know, like you see with like, like, super right-wing fundamentalist Christians that are on like their anti-abortion thing where they have pictures of dead babies on their truck and stuff. He was kind of that version of that message, but, but for surfing boycott, professional surfing boycott photos, boycott photographers. I forget this guy's name, 
but it would be a great documentary to hunt him down mm-hmm. and kind of get his insight and get his take on who he was, why he thought that way, what he thinks now. I think that would be a really cool uh, documentary. But anyway, um, your thoughts on what Mickey Dore said, professionalism, <clears throat> death to the individual, subservient to the wealth merchants of Wall Street. I like it. I like <laughs> I like the way that he worded it. Um, so when you sent that to me and I read it, it made me reevaluate everything I know to be true in life. <laughs> wow. Who knew? No, no, it she didn't. send you the whole article. It didn't, but it did provoke me to kind of rethink my stance in that original diatribe that I went on a year ago and made me question it. But after sleeping on it, rethinking it, I was thinking, I I feel more adamant than ever about my viewpoint. And I feel that I believe in, in portions of what I I don't even know where to begin with. I have a couple of different points, so I'll try to kind of hit them all. But I believe in everything that Dora says that that is all true, but I believe that he's kind of viewing it uh, from the wrong angle and that there's a lot of value in the professionalism and the defining of a structure and having a foundation to work off of that is professional. Now, we should not sell out to corporations and all that sort of thing as individuals or the sport or whatever. And the the downside of that would be losing John John and his surfing to, you know, placate his sponsors, let's say. And and he's not allowed to go surf in the Dahui backdoor shootout, which is something that we just saw recently. That's a shame when that thing happens. But I don't think that that's the only the only conclusion that can be drawn from embracing professionalism. Now, here's what I mean. Dora, when he wrote this quote, was benefiting from um, a surfboard design that was engineered using some amount of professionalism, shorts that were engineered using some amount of uh, engineering professionalism and these advancements he, that have been made. But you're missing it though. He means yeah. professional surfing, not professional board creation or manufacture, I should say, or professional um, garment industry techniques. Professional surfing. Is he talking specifically contest surfing or professional surfing as it relates to free surfing as well? I think the latter, and and that's sort of where he, obviously he there's some issue that because it's not that black and white surfing. First of all, could be, I've argued for a long time. It's not a sport above and above, above everything. It's, it's not, it's a lifestyle. It's not even a lifestyle. It's the essence of who you are. It represents freedom and it represents a, a carefree sort of laissez faire, um, you know, whatever. I'm just going to go catch a couple waves and it will always be that. So to, to assume that the, the idea of professional surfing is going to take away from that is just false. It just will never happen. It can't happen. I can go right now down to the beach and go surfing on any board I want. It doesn't matter. And and John John Florence or anybody else, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. I feel also like he's viewing professionalism as uh, putting confines and restrictions on the creative expression of surfing. Whereas I feel like it's not really, it's almost adding another tool to your arsenal of, I also can enjoy this kind of free this um, this contest thing, and yeah, you can go and free surf right now, and that doesn't affect you at all. But additionally, you get to come home and watch 
the contest surfing or enjoy this kind of other facet of surfing as well, you know? Well, and when I worked at Surfer Magazine, Chris Morrow attacked this very issue and he did a really good job and he wrote an article about professional surfing, you know, is it good for us? Is it bad for us? And he brought out a lot of really salient points. You know, first and foremost is we wouldn't be where we are with surfboard design. All really important surfboard design um, was was vetted out in competition situations, like Absolutely, the tri-fin, yeah. the twin-fin, right. the tri-fin, um, even wetsuits, uh, stuff like that. You know, so um, we all benefit, even if you hate pro surfing and you don't want anything to do with it and you say you boycott it and it's the lamest thing ever, you're, you are directly benefiting from it um, in the boards that you ride in, in the firewire technology. All of this stuff is, is created um, in the hopes that it's used in the com- competitive format and that somebody will get a, an advantage and become the champion. I mean, the leash. You know, traction pad, all of that stuff is to get better at what we do so that we can be deemed, you know, the better of the of the two, you know, which goes totally in the flies in the face of what all of us know surfing to be, which is I don't even give a shit what you think about the way I surf. I just love being in the eelgrass, catching green waves and riding with the dolphins. Amen, brother. I'm down, you mm-hmm. know, um, but but we do all benefit from professional surfing. You know, there's no, what's the downside to you? Probably the biggest one is crowds, right? You could say that it makes it more crowded and it makes a lot of sheeple. It makes a lot of, you know, like, you know, just guys that are, you know, sort of like look like Kelly Slater. I've seen more bald guys with Channel Island surfboards since Kelly Slater shaved his head than I saw before then. You know what I mean? So, but whatever, I mean, that doesn't really affect me. I just... More people in the water, but whatever. But I think the Dora's point is still substantial, which is like that creative expression needs to exist. But I also think that if everybody lived by Dora's principle, the society and the the thing cannot sustain. Not everybody can be a creative artist. Like we need those guys, but those guys are outliers. And the vast majority, kind of the bell-shaped curve is... There needs to be a little bit of structure and a little bit of foundation that we all agree upon. And I think Dora would probably even agree to that, that like even within what he defines as free surfing, creative expressionism, there's you need to account for style. You need to be able to achieve trim in his day or a bottom turn or whatever it is. Like there's still these foundations that we all agree upon that constitute what is quality. You know, you can't well, go out. What's completely... interesting is that back in his day, competition was changing in a, in a weird way. You know, because the boards were getting a lot smaller, and so all of a sudden, you had like like like, like that were literally riding out objective ways to score the wave. Like, okay, a trim is this, a takeoff is this, a late takeoff is this, and they would assign point totals to each one of those. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, the stringent quality of of trying to be an objective judge is what really rankled a lot of guys and I think rankled Dora because Dora's like hey you know what the waves tell me to dance like this and you're telling me to dance like this and why should I listen to you when the waves tell me to dance like this you know and this is how I dance if you don't like my dance screw you and so I think there's a lot of of that you know the context of the time has a lot to do with what Dora's stating too as well because there was a lot of turmoil when pro surfing first started and the board started getting smaller what does it mean? How do you judge these guys? You know, and there was even events where it was points per turn. You know, how many turns you did is how many points you got. It didn't matter what you looked like. Yeah, it's it's unfair for us to have unlimited amount of time to argue with a guy who put one 
paragraph on a piece of paper, but I thought that you were going to argue for his side and then we'd have an well, argument. I, I'm not forward. arguing either way. I think that both sides are, you know, are valid. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, I, I just, you know, you got to ask yourself, if there was no professional surfing, where would we be with our equipment, with our... Um, well, we wouldn't have Chopu. You know what I mean? It's well, like that's, those you don't waves, know that. You don't know that. I mean, I'm, dude, look, there was guys that were charging G Land before. There, you know, G Land was like a soul surfer spot. It wasn't a competitive arena. G Land's, you know, guys. I, I mean, you're assuming that because we didn't have a, a blow, you know, a horn and some dudes that had egos that wanted to prove themselves better, I think those people still exist. You know, I think of course. I think that guys would still be charging Chopu. Would they be getting deeper? You know. Would Andy Irons be who he was? Would- no, but to your point about evolving board design and all those other things yeah. that are driven by the marketplace, which is... It's argued that it happens quicker because of professionalism. By far. I would argue that perfect death-defying barrels would be peeling, reeling off that Chopu Reef with nobody riding them today. No, if we- you're saying right now no one would be... You're saying in the last 30 years people wouldn't go, you know what, I'm going to go ride that wave. They wouldn't have the boards that would be able to fit into that contour of the wave. Why not? Why wouldn't a shaper that shapes boards for G-Land go, you know what? I think we can make them a little smaller, a little narrower. And, oh, I got this guy named Kelly Slater or whoever that's an incredible surfer. Let's make – he's thinking we can go a little smaller. Let's do this. Why wouldn't we do that and still um, take photos of it and put it in the magazines and it just wouldn't be in the competitive arena? You're suggesting that tow boards haven't evolved because there's no tow-in competitions. There's been way more toe free surfing that's happened than than toe competitions. There's probably been three toe in competitions. Yeah, and those boards haven't really evolved. No, they to have. The, I have, to the, I have the original toe board behind me. It's seven foot six inches long. Now the toe boards are five three. Yeah, they got shorter. That's a but big I'm just thing. saying the difference that's what between you need to get in. but the difference between the boards that Dora was riding versus what Gabriel Medina won Chopu on this year is that was forty five or fifty years ago. True. And you're saying how much. How much we wouldn't Gabe wouldn't be riding the boards that he's riding. I'm not saying he wouldn't be. I'm just saying that because of competition, we it wouldn't ex- be. It expedites. I agree with that, but I but you seem to be saying we'd still be on logs, and I'm saying no, no. we wouldn't still be on logs. I'm just saying that this professionalism infrastructure drives and create creates kind of a faster learning curve for the advancements to take place. It could also be argued though that it stagnates it too because when you look at like the 90s, the surfboards of the 90s or even the surfboards today. Yeah, that's true. You know, like if they're surfing mushy Margaret River, you and I might be on a quad or we might be on something different that's going to get us through some of those fat sections after that wave goes flat. Yeah. Um, But those guys are all riding the same boards because they have to because they're on tour for 11 months out of the year. They don't want to ride something new. God forbid they lose points by losing in the event. So they got to stick with what they know. So there's some stagnation that takes place in design when you're on tour as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this groovy stuff that's happened outside of the box has happened in that sort of, for lack of a better phrase, retro moment, that retro movement with guys like Dick Von Strahlen in Australia and guys like here, like the Bonzer brothers, you know, Campbell brothers doing the Bonzer. Um, you know, there a lot of, of activities happening outside of the competitive arena as far as and design I'm, and manufacture improvements. I don't want to hitch my wagon to the competitive professionalism thing. My original rant a year ago was to do with, you know, Quicksilver Instagramming the word a lot, the two words a lot oh, yeah. as one word, and the W or the ASP at the time um, misspelling Frederico Marais' name on the back of his jersey when he beat Kelly Slater in Portugal to 
get him out of the world title race. And on their infographic, having Sebastian Zietz with a Brazilian flag next to him. You know what I mean? When we all know right. he's from the country. Of right. Hawaii. But this specific quote that we started this with of was, course. was Dora on of course. the idea of professional It is. So we're arguing two separate sport. things, kind of. Well, I'm only arguing one thing. No, I know. But that, <laughs> but his quote wasn't directed exactly no. at what I was saying. So we're and arguing you'll slightly need, different You should things. take a look at this academic paper. It's actually quite fascinating. Yeah. And um, it's a really neat thing. And we can check it out next time we're up at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Well, all of the social context and history that you provided in this last five or 10 minutes is very entertaining and educational. I surprised. I, I must've gotten it wrong at some point. <laughs> I don't know. I've pretty got a kook. Are you ready for Pretty kook? impressive. Or you yeah. got more. What else do you got? You got Dude, more? I got the Eddie. Do we Roth have any emails or anything? No, we got the Eddie Rothman video that we haven't ever discussed. Uh, does that, is that, I don't even want to discuss Eddie okay. Rothman. Okay, good. Neither do I. Um, and one real quickly, Zoltan, <laughs> oh, that was pretty rad. The kickflip specialist. Kick Dueling call no, not even... a double. They call it a double kickflip. A double kickflip is when you kick the board two flips in one motion. Uh, this was did... a kickflip, land it, and then another kickflip. Oh, okay. But he did two kickflips <laughs> on the same way. That poor guy's trying really hard to get credit for the kickflip, isn't he? He, first he land... does it, man. He lands him. You got to give him credit. He's a good surfer from Santa Cruz. Zoltan Torcos, is yeah. it? The and... magician. He's a magician by trade. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I'm stoked for him. I, I did. Now, at one point, Volcom was supposed to pay him some money, right? For the first that's guy right. that ever landed a kickflip, right? And, and they reneged. And they reneged, right? They didn't do it. Is that true, or did they ever finally pay up? I ne I only heard the story of them reneging. I never yeah. heard after that. You but know, if they would have paid up, they would have made a big deal of it. They the, would have like done a marketing push, yes. like we did it, you know, and they never did. So, well, the reason they maybe paid him off on the side to tell him to shut up or something. Or, the reason why is because they were claiming you need to do it off the lip. It needs to be like an an actual air kickflip and land where Zoltan sort of does it mid face, huh? Like he, he doesn't leave the, above the lip. Right? It's the equivalent of a chop hop. Right. It's on the flats. It's a chop hop, but he ollies, does a kickflip. Yeah, does an ollie, kickflips, and lands it. That's interesting because in skateboarding, that's how you do a kickflip. You don't get real airborne and do it. True. You know, you just kind of skate along and you. Although I bet there's guys that are doing it above the lip and balls and stuff. That wouldn't surprise me these days. Yeah, of course. But Zoltan now he's modified it where he approaches the lip. But then does a ollie, kick flips, and lands it. So it's does he go above the lip? So he's finally done it. Volcom is riding a knee. Up. He's riding a knee high wave. So I mean, what is above the lip? He's above the knee. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I want to po point out something that I saw last night on Aladdin Surf Mag's Instagram was Zach Reinhardt doing a full 360 shove it, which I thought was equally rad. So he does it kind of the same mid mid lip. Um, are you going to try to pull it up? I'm just thinking shove it and rad in the same sentence. Really? Shouldn't... It was shocking. It was <laughs> shocking, shocking. is better. The guy, it's, it's the same kind of mid face Ollie type thing, but he does a shove it full three sixties, the board and stomps it pretty gnarly. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. It's starting to turn for the worse for this Dude, guy. Let's not talk about it. Okay. That has nothing to do with it. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Must see moment. Kooks and dukes. Okay. Um, I think my musty moment is going to be the um, Ricardo Dos Santos when he accepts the Andy Irons Forever Award from Luke Egan at the Billabong Pro uh, in 2013, I think it might have been. I like it. And um, it's really moving. And I think it shows a little, a lot of the character of this guy, Ricardo Dos Santos, who died let, today. Let me clarify. The one that you just pulled up is actually 2012, and it's the Billabong Pro Tahiti, not the Pipeline event. Yeah, there's, there's – yeah. 
I, Which one are you referencing? Do you know? Um, the one I put up on Facebook okay, okay. was... Yeah, the Tahiti. Pro Tahiti, Andy Irons Award. 2012 Billabong Pro yeah. Tahiti. Okay, awesome. My must-see moment? Yeah. I had to... Um, this is kind of out of the archives, but it's the Ryan Birch footage of him writing that chunk of foam. Yeah. It's an unglassed four foot something, just block of foam. And the reason why I bring it up now, the footage is a little bit older, but one of our listeners um, with an Instagram account, I think it's um, My Epic Wave is his Instagram uh-huh, profile. Right. Yeah. He sent us a photo or posted a photo of Ryan Birch this past weekend writing the chunk of foam. And I tech, I messaged him and I'm like, dude, was that recent or was this old stuff? And he goes, no, he was out there this weekend writing this chunk of foam. So it reminded me of this footage that surfaced a year or two ago of Birch writing the chunk of foam. And again, it's just this block of styrofoam, EPS foam, square. He doesn't even round off the edges or anything. And he rides this thing incredibly well. And not just considering that it's a chunk of foam with no fins and no resin, no fiberglass, but he rides it, it, the amount of glide that he gets and the amount of speed that he gets on this thing really makes you rethink the way that you implement all of the quality um, implements that we have now of fins and better board design and all that because he flies on the thing and really gets a lot of drive out of it. And there's footage of him riding it at you know one of the reefs in San Diego. And then I found another video of him riding it out in uh, Western Australia getting pitted better, I'd argue better than he could on a modern surfboard. Yeah, you know, um, they just had the Surfcraft uh, exhibit at the Menge Museum, which Richard Kenvin curated. They just took that down. Right. That board was part of that exhibit, and I'm yep. sure Ryan grabbed it and went, you know what, I want to ride this thing. I haven't ridden it in a while, because I know I saw RK, Richard Kenvin, on one of the boards that was on exhibit there for like 11 months or whatever it was. So a lot of those boards got pulled down, and those guys were like, hey, man, I forgot how much... I love this board. And so that's why Ryan was out there riding that board. And, and you're right. He does, you know, a board with no fins, uh, very thin, you're going to get deep and steep. And, um, it just says a lot about the ability of this guy. He's just an incredible surfer, but again, really good stuff. Makes you reevaluate how you ride your own equipment because this thing is so crude, but he goes unbelievably fast, gets crazy drive out of the bottom turns with no fins. Yeah. Just a hard edge. Yeah nuts yeah so i'll post all that footage of birch friction free i've got a um, twitter from a guy that sends it to you and me and he says i'm a longtime listener landlocked lawyer i've got a job for four months i get to go to central america and get barreled and that's from amir gorgi so amir right on man good for you you deserve it you've been landlocked that must not be good so um i want to follow up with that guy yeah um all right duke and kook my Duke, I got to give it to Ricardo Dos Santos, of course, for reasons we discussed in this show. Yeah, me and, too. And my kook has to be yeah. the kooks in Brazil yeah. that are creating all this havoc and violence. Well, the guy's name, the off-duty gunslinging Brazilian cop high on cocaine who shot and killed Ricardo Dos Santos, allegedly, is Luis Paulo Mota Brentano. So he's my kook. 25-year-old who, by the way, was with his 17-year-old younger brother. You do this with your brother? Yeah. High on coke, gunslinging, Brazilian cop, off-duty cop. So definitely my kook. <clears throat> and um, yeah, my, my duke is definitely Ricardo Dos Santos. So, um, Thoughts and prayers to yeah. the Dos Santos family and just to Brazil. I mean, 
don't envy the position that they're in having to deal with this stuff on a regular basis. It's a far cry from Orange County, California. It is. It's a bummer. Well, look, um, <clears throat> that's all we got for today. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks. Send us your emails. SurftalkSanDiego at gmail.com. SurftalkSanDiego at gmail.com. And David Scales here at um, SurfSplendorPodcast.com. We have a comment section for every show, so you can leave comments if you want to share your thoughts about any of the stuff that we discussed on this show. And then, of course, you can also follow on social media, just at SurfSplendor on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz. And uh, one final thing, David's website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, my website, downthelineradio.com. Until next time, adios and aloha. É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho, é o resto de toco, é um pouco sozinho, é um caco de vidro, é a vida, é o sol, é a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol, é o nó da madeira É uma tita pereira É madeira de vento É o mistério profundo Thank you for tuning in. In loving memory of Ricardo dos Santos and the senseless tragedy that took place, I'm going to have this song play us out today. It's one of my favorite bossa nova Brazilian jazz tunes. It's kind of a standard. It's called Aguas de Marco. This version is by Antonio Carlos Yobem and Ellis Regina. It's kind of the definitive version of this song for me. There's a lot of versions, but this is the best. So let this be the soundtrack of your life and not any of the negativity and, um, I don't know, violence that surrounds and consumes us. Just look up the lyrics to this song and let this be with you. And um, until next week with our episode with Chas Smith, I encourage you to just rate and review and share Surf Splendor with friends. And um, that really just helps our show to grow. So thank you for doing that. We'll be back next week with Chaz Smith. Until then, this is David Scales saying ciao. É José, é um espinho, na mão, é um corte, no pé, são as águas de março, fechando o verão, é a promessa de vida no teu coração, é pau, é pedra, é o fim, do caminho, é um resto, de topo, é um pouco, sozinho, é um passo, é uma ponte, é um sábio, é uma rã, é um belo horizonte, é uma febre terçã, são as águas de março, fechando o verão, é a promessa de vida no Sol
São as águas de março fechando o verão E a promessa de vida no teu coração Bada, 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 b